Hey, Dave, it's uh, we're kind of in a heavy season right now with some bad news going around the world. Yeah. Um, I, I was I was curious in this. I, I know we kind of had some bad news that came across us in Russia. You know, I, I found out my grandfather passed away and I left. Yeah. What was some what was some of the bad news that you experienced? I mean, there there were a few different uh, really rough things that I heard. I mean, you know, obviously when when I found out that I was going to be alone, David, you know, Grant's not going to be with you. Murph's not going to be with you. That was pretty rough. Uh, you know, when I found out I didn't have any more money in Estonia, that was that was some bad news. <laughs> yeah. But I, you know, I think the worst news, it came from this middle-aged nurse in the hospital in Saratov. And that was when she told me, David, you need to curl up in the fetal position, grab both of your butt cheeks, and spread them apart. <laughs> when we moved to Russia in 2003... We didn't know what we were getting ourselves into. And he stands in front of me, totally naked, and he says, David, I am going to beat myself now. It wasn't always easy. So, like, literally the entire time I've been drinking the tap water, I've been drinking corpse water. We faced plenty of challenges. The guy made me grab a shovel, and he told me to walk. I think somebody put a curse on me. What? It was a very different world from where we had grown up. And then she said, have you tried the Russian prostitutes? <laughs> she looked at us, smiled and said, erotica, yes. But through it all, we found a country with a proud and inspiring history. But in Russia, you've got 20 million people were killed defending Russia. Just fighting to the last man and woman. Rich in culture and tradition. There's this ancient shaman tradition. And the word shaman actually comes from the Evenk language. A country that would change us in a permanent way. And it's just, it's the taste of, of familiarity now. It's, it's yeah. nostalgia. Like, Russia really became part of who we are. I'm Grant. And I'm David. Welcome to Season 3 of To Russia With Love. All right, all right. You, you need to you need to explain that a little bit. What what's that what's that all about? That is that does sound like bad news. <laughs> yeah, well, we're I'm going to get back to that. We uh, okay, okay. We're, we're going to be hearing my whole story about my experience uh, when I was in quarantine in the Russian hospital, mm. and uh, we figured this would be a good time to talk about that with everything going on. Um, there's nothing else on people's minds right now, really anywhere in the world. Quarantines, yeah. social distancing, COVID-19, uh, this is what everyone is talking about. All of us are in a, a really unique place right now. Um, yeah. How, how, are you, how are you doing with it, Grant? Oh, how, uh, yeah. how are things out in, with we're, your family, with your church? Yeah, I think we're, we're, we're hanging in there. Um, we, as many of you might know, we live in, I live in Reno, Nevada, and um, I work at a church. I'm a, a worship pastor, so I do music. Uh, this is totally changing the way that we're doing church right now. It's really kind of a cool thing. Um, I think a lot of churches are stepping up to help people out. Um, we're trying to do that here. We are, um, we're, is that, is that Jody? <laughs> Can you hear him? <laughs> yeah, that is. <laughs> that, he's, he's here with me. I was going to tell you. Oh, <laughs> Jody, he's a, he's a young man uh, that I take care of, a uh, young Disabled dude, he I'd say young man, but he's he's my age. Um, he's here hanging out with me while we record. We're doing things a little different. You're going to be able to hear him. <laughs> he's he yeah. thinks it's funny when I talk. I think he thinks I'm a crazy person when I'm sitting here <laughs> talking to myself. We're uh, we kind of try. We wanted to throw this episode together. You know, right now things are going on in the world, and we wanted to get it out. Um, I know Jody. I've met Jody a few times. Uh, I've hung out with you and him. Uh, down in San Diego a few times. I love Jody. Tell him, tell him I said hi. <laughs> yeah, hey, Jody. Grant says hi. Jody, can you say hello? <laughs> say hi to the listeners too, Jody. Wait, he'll do it later, maybe. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, yeah he's, he's my homeboy. Um, yeah, we're doing it uh, a little differently. I, uh, I just got back from Mexico City last night. Um, I had to, to come here to do some business stuff anyway, and, uh, and like everything's up in the air right now. I yeah. don't know when I'll make it when I'll be able to get back to Mexico city. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Everything's uh, changed right down there. Everything was very calm so far. Um, not, not in a, a reckless or a careless way. Uh, people like the government and people and businesses were really 
have been ahead of the curve, I think, taking precautions and getting prepared mm. for the numbers to spike. Uh, but so far, like from it's very it's going to be very interesting to see how how Mexico and the, the numbers play out with yeah. the coronavirus. Yeah, because the stuff I was looking at from the onset of the virus to like 20 days later where we're at now, Mexico compared to a lot of other countries, uh, it hasn't been spreading nearly mm. as much. Um, and there's still a lot of question marks. You know, people wonder if that's because some cases haven't been reported or recorded, yeah, uh, or whatever. But, but I feel like I feel like it's a lot more sensible so far, um, and yeah. that could change in a couple of weeks. But but things felt very calm, but people were just sort of battening down the hatches and preparing. Yeah, and the government's already been shutting down schools and offices. Yeah, uh, you what's you know what's interesting to me? I don't know how things are are in Reno. Uh, a lot of people have been wearing face masks in Mexico City. Um, obviously, that's so that you don't transmit germs to anyone else. Uh-huh. That's not going to protect you. But I saw I saw a lot of face masks already uh, up to yesterday. And I came here. I was I've been hearing all these news about people getting freaked out and paranoid and panic buying. But here in San Diego, I don't see like a single face mask. Yeah. Not even people working in stores. Is that the same in Reno or? Yeah, I, I haven't seen too many people with face masks. I know the things that I've heard about it, uh, through the news and through social media, people are saying uh, they, they're not effective in, in keeping you from getting infected. Um, right. they're, they're for people, they're for healthcare workers, so save them for, for the people who are working with uh, uh, victims of this sickness and save them for people who do have who are sick and don't want to spread it to someone else so i don't know if people are just listening to that um i i wouldn't even know where to find face masks i guess you could maybe find them at a (laughs) pharmacy or something but uh that hasn't even been on any of my radar um yeah things are different we're we're trying to stay home as much as possible you know my wife and my son and i we're at home we're, uh, he's, he's four years old, so we're figuring out how to keep him entertained and occupied and, and educated. <laughs> yeah, how's, how's that work? How's it, that working out for you? You Is know he what? just stir crazy already? Uh, he's doing really great. We've got some, we've got some yoga YouTube videos that we're putting on for him and, and, uh, and it's been good. We, we, the, I think the best thing to do is, is get into a schedule for kids and, you yeah. know, right now is our free time play and you can play with whatever toys this is our exercise time now it's snack time all that so we're we're figuring it all out and like i said earlier at the church at the church we're doing things different we um we're not doing um sunday services like we normally would we're just going online right now and i think that's really cool it's cool to try to do that it it's a good thing i think when people are taking the steps necessary to protect the other people around them you know, I'm not, yeah. I'm not really concerned for my family. We're, we're healthy. We're pretty, we're doing well. Yeah. Um, our, and, and kids handle this disease better than anyone. Like kids. That's what they're I saying. There's been, yeah. Yeah. Like kids especially are very robust. Yes. Especially under age nine. So, so I'm really glad that we took those, um, steps here at our church to, you know, kind of protect the, the older folks, the people who are more vulnerable, um, we did, we did continue yeah. our, uh, we have a, a food pantry that we do every other week and we did do that yesterday, um, which was great to be able to hand things out. We are still sanitizing stuff, but there are people with, yeah. there are people with real needs during this time as well. So, you know, it's important to be watching out for each other. Yeah. I mean, I think we'll, we'll mention this again at the end, but, uh, you know, everyone listening, wherever you're at, look for ways that you can, can help out. Uh, people in need in in your area because yeah. yeah there are still hung, hungry people there's homeless people people who don't have anyone to take care of their children yeah uh, look for safe ways that you can that you can help out like it's we're all in this together yeah that uh, we might have to social distance <laughs> physically but we're we're still connected we've got to help each other out yeah it's really kind of cool to see the different ways people are doing it seeing different Facebook groups in communities where people are saying hey I've got extra toilet paper, or I saw somebody talk about, you mentioned masks. Somebody talked about, um, Hey, I sew and I found this pattern to make a mask. And if somebody knows where any of these, um, N95 filters are, they can just go right in there and we can make these for our healthcare professionals and stuff. And 
it's cool to see people step up. Nice. Um, it's a bummer that it takes something like this to get people to care about each other, but um, <laughs> you know, that's I guess it's the silver lining. But I mean, sometimes that's how that's how sickness works. And uh, I mean, yeah. we're gonna we're gonna see that in in the stories we've got from Russia, and then in my story of of being in the Russian hospital when I had to spread my butt cheeks apart. <laughs> and uh, we're we're yeah. gonna get to that in a minute. But yeah. it, it really is a story about people coming together. In my experience, when we were in Russia, that was that was my experience. When I got sick, there were people who stepped up and they took care of me. Um, people that I wasn't expecting to, and they, but they they were there. Uh, we we didn't get sick too much when we were together, but I do remember I remember getting some colds and getting flu, getting the flu. Yeah, do you remember some of the home remedies that, uh, like a lot of people, Mama Nadia and the people from the church, yeah. they would suggest things. Yeah, I re- oh man, I remember once, and I think uh, I think Murph had this too. So I, if if he was here with us, he would probably agree. Um, I remember once getting a cold and getting and having a really sore throat. Um, this this was probably one of the first few months that we were there. Murph was there with us, so obviously it was in the the first four months. Um, yeah, Mama Nadia came over. I think she was still taking care of us, cooking for us, cleaning around the house, and so she probably saw us in bed, you know, moaning or coughing or whatever. And so she came in, and and I remember her being like, "Oh, oh, boys, boys, come here." And she, it was almost like, and we call we call her Mama Nadia, and a part of it was because she was very motherly to us. She took us in, yeah. Um, but she, I remember her bringing a scarf over, and this was this was probably in June, um, maybe maybe July. She brought this scarf yeah. over, and it's starting to get hot in in the city and in our apartment. But she took it and wrapped it all around our neck, and and then uh, she boiled some milk. And she made this like scalding hot milk <laughs> and then she like forced us to drink it. Um, and it was supposed to, it was supposed to help our throat. And, um, I, I don't know if it did. I don't think it did. <laughs> I, think- I feel like Murph, the way Murph would tell the story, I think is that he didn't even know it was a hot drink. <laughs> she just put this, she's like, yeah. strangles him with his scarf. <laughs> And then she says, oh, here, drink this. Drink this. And she just gives him something, and he's expecting, like, okay, I have a sore throat, so it's going to be some kind of a cold drink or ice water. Yeah. And he just he just chugs it, and it's this boiling hot milk <laughs> yeah. scalding his throat. And he was so pissed. Yeah. Oh, man, yeah. I remember, yeah, that was, that was the main one for me. Um, I remember getting tablets, you know, at the pharmacy for – you know, being sick to my stomach or whatever, you could get some tablets and you'd take those. Um, I feel like they used a lot of iodine. Um, I remember, you know, I, I think there was once where, okay. I, where I cut my finger and Mama Nadia comes and slathers all this stuff that burned on it and, and it turned my finger like yellow or blue or something. And I remember seeing people oh, ar- yeah. around town and they would have these blue patches on their arms or on their necks or whatever. And, and, and I think that that was iodine that would clean the the wounds and and it and it burnt that hurt. But but uh, I always thought that was just a, a fashion statement. Two thousand three. <laughs> All the Gorbachev fans, you know, were putting <laughs> marks marks on their head. <laughs> exactly. It's like that Doctor Seuss story with the marks on the stomachs. Yeah, the the snitch or the sneech. The Sneetches. Right, right. I I, re- I I've been reading that with my four year old. Yeah, the the star bellied sneech. Nice. Yeah, you gotta you gotta read stories <laughs> <laughs> during this this hard time. Yeah. And we're gonna we're gonna be sharing some stories with you guys over the next few weeks yeah. of quarantine. Uh, we'll talk about more more about that at the end of the episode. But yeah, we've got some stories to keep you all entertained um, after this episode. So, yeah. so stay tuned to the end. So those were my experiences. Um, what uh what were your experiences? You know, the, there is one remedy that I heard a million times in Russia. And every time somebody would say it to me, they would say it like they were the first person to come up with this. Okay. And it was all, it was for like for anything. It was hot tea, hot black tea with honey and lemon in it. <laughs> but, you know, I mean that like that is good. The, the, the lemon, the vitamin C, the, the hot drink, like there's a lot that in the like honey itself is medicinal. Yeah. 
Um, and it's interesting because Russia, it really has a rich tradition of folk remedies. Okay. Uh, and a lot of them are very effective. Like yeah. there's medicinal plants just like there are anywhere in the world that, that people figure out over thousands of years living in a place. And so that makes it even stranger that everyone seemed – that was the go-to. And they would always say it like they were the first person to say, hey, you know what you should really do, David? <laughs> Hot tea. And you put in some honey and some lemon, and they just describe it like I'd never heard this thing before. <laughs> but that was the that was the remedy for everything: a cold, for like depression, for anxiety, for you know your sexual prowess. Yeah, it was <laughs> that is going to fix <laughs> that'll fix everything. Yeah, I, I I did I I just drank that. That was just my normal you know nighttime drink when people would offer us tea and I'm like, okay well do you have any lemon do you have any honey okay maybe everybody thought i was sick all the time <laughs> well yeah especially once you in the winter months when you were sleeping all day maybe they thought Ooh, <laughs> grant grant has got something terminal he's he's not looking good <laughs> yeah now you uh you did a little research right grant you looked up some stuff about uh um some different epidemics in russia yeah um I, the other day the other day a um an infographic popped up that showing just some of the, the pandemics that have happened throughout history. You know, there is like the black plague. Um, it mentioned the smallpox epidemic, different things that went on around the world. People have been talking about the uh, 1918 flu, the Spanish flu. I think sometimes that's called, there was a pandemic in 1889 and 1890. Sometimes people refer to it as the Russian flu because it, it appears it appears that maybe it started in Russia. Um, I think one of the one of the first cities to really get hit was St. Petersburg, at least. That was uh, that was this was an important um, an important time in history. This was the first pandemic in the area of bacteriology. Um, you know, you Dave, you've probably learned about uh, Louis Pasteur. Yeah, I know that guy. He he uh, basically he, you know he was one of the people who who learned and studied germs and realized, Hey, you know, if, if we all wash our hands, we're going to keep ourselves healthier. Right. Uh, Louis Pasteur and Robert Koch, they both, uh, they developed uh, germ theory there in the 19th century, which understands how bacteria spreads, how sicknesses are, are transmitted to each other. Um, and this was the first, the first uh, real big sickness that was kind of studied after this theory kind of became a thing. Interesting. And Russia was the place that it that it had its outbreak, huh? Yeah, the, the big the big the big outbreak was Russia. Uh, uh, on some uh, some sources, it talks about maybe Constantinople um, having some have, having somewhat of an outbreak, but then it jumped to Saint Petersburg, and uh, they don't really know why. But in Saint Petersburg, it, it mentioned um, people from peasants all the way up to the Tsar were affected by this. Wow. And, and was um, it pretty? Was it pretty deadly? Was it? Uh, yeah, it, dangerous. Yeah, it was. Um, it uh, there were there were over one million deaths attributed to this back then, and um, wow. some of the interesting things about it, um, it spread across the globe in four months. This this time period, the the nineteenth century, was a time when when travel was becoming more popular, when it was becoming more feasible for people to do. Um, Trains and boats. There was a train system and a boat system, a boating system that could uh, get you anywhere in the world practically, and it basically got this this sickness, this flu. It got it all around the world, and we, you know, we we're we're, we're seeing that right now as we're looking at the coronavirus and COVID nineteen. The way that it spreads, uh, it's 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 interesting to to look at maps and see, you know, how did how is this spreading day by day and and where is it at and how is it getting there? We're, we're talking mostly like airlines and air traffic in the way that it transmits and goes across to different countries. But back then, it was uh, through the, the train system and through, and through the boats um, going from different continents. Uh, the, other, the other interesting thing about this uh, flu, the Russian flu, was um, the news cycles. We in Russia or, or all, outside of Russia, all around the world during this time in history, news was becoming a big thing. Cities were selling newspapers. I, I was reading up a little bit about it. And one of the places it specifically talked about was uh, 
the Polish news. So Warsaw, uh, different places like that. Uh, during this time in history, Poland wasn't itself its own country, but there was these Polish news organizations that were putting out newspapers and getting the news out there. And so what they saw happening was that the information about this sickness, the spread of the sickness went uh, across the world before the sickness actually got to these places. It, it traveled, huh. it, it kind of traveled, the, the news cycles tr- traveled it, the news arrived, the news arrived in cities before the sickness arrived, which is really interesting. And that's, that's one, of the, one of the things we're seeing right now too. And people are saying, you know, be a little bit careful. The news cycles that we have are like daily news cycles. Back then it was, you know, weeks or maybe, maybe even months. Um, but, but now we're days or even less, you know, we will get, we'll get something on, on the news. We'll get some information in the morning. And by the end of the day, that might be outdated and, and might be totally wrong. Um, or, right. or the news, <laughs> the news organizations right now, in order to stay relevant, to get a scoop, they're putting out information that maybe they haven't fact-checked, maybe they haven't gotten all the details about, and, and what, you know, which in some ways can spread misinformation. I think that happens, that's happening a lot with social media. You know, we're oh yeah, I am there. I'm writing a whole book about it right now, yeah. and I'm I'm hoping to release it soon, yeah. uh, because all of the the urban myths, the legends, the just incorrect stuff that, like, it's like in this world that there's so much more connected. The disease spreads a lot faster, but then the disinformation spreads yeah. faster too. Yeah, it's a, a fascinating how quickly so many. Like I, when I tell people I'm writing a book about it, they're like, "No, come on, there can't be that many <laughs> urban legends in in a week." That yeah, I'm like no, there are. There's so many just from social media and memes and I mean just incorrect information, like people saying stick a blow dryer up your nose and that'll kill the coronavirus <laughs> with the heat. <laughs> One of the things I heard about was if you can hold your breath for ten seconds, that means you don't have it. Yep, that's not necessarily yeah. true. Um. Right, but not pe- true at all. But people are people are saying these things as experts. But you know, I mean, we're talking we're talking news reporters, we're talking celebrities, we're talking uh, sports figures are saying these things. These are not the experts. There are experts out there. There are epidemiologists who are studying this, who know how diseases work, who who have that information, and and so it's a little bit. Or not, not even a little bit. It's just plain irresponsible to spread things, you know, folk yeah. remedies or any of this without really knowing. This is how urban legends work too. Is they they evolve, and it, it feels like these urban legends are evolving on the very typical uh, pattern of urban legends, where where it eventually gets told as, oh, this was told to me by a reliable source, or it's usually a friend of a friend, or yeah. I heard this from my friend who who knows a, a high ranking doctor in in China or in Japan or Switzerland is yeah usually attributed yeah and so that the doctor said this and i mean nobody maliciously you know forwards these things but i wonder where where the hell they come from because <laughs> yeah cuz i mean but it is possible that uh, i mean the the scary thought is to think that there's some misanthrope out there some trolly person who who is really that invested in messing with people that they make up BS, make up just a fake cure for this, just to screw with people's heads. Yeah. And I, I know there are, there are trolls out there. There's, there's nasty people out there. Yeah. But it's not always the case. A lot of times urban legends, they just kind of evolve with the retelling. Somebody heard something and I might tell you, Hey, I heard something about it. it might not survive heat. Yeah, and then later, then you talk to a different friend who says they know a doctor in China, and then you confuse the two things, and you tell someone else, "Hey, Dave knows a doctor in China," and you know, yeah. the game of telephone and yeah, it, uh, takes on a life of its own. Yeah, sometimes the social consciousness kind of creates these stories, and people run with it, uh, oftentimes fueled by fear, and that's one of the things yeah. that that they that they found during this uh, epidemic, the the Russian flu was uh, the news cycles really, in some cases, generated fear in people. It wasn't, it wasn't too long before that that, that uh, people around the world had to deal with um, different other, other p- 
pandemics or plagues. Um, you know, I mean, the, the bubonic plague was happening in yeah. 1855 worldwide. You know, there, there were people during this time who were still alive who had lived through that um, or, or different, different pandemics, uh, cholera, cholera pandemics around the world were, were a big deal in, in the 19th century as well. So yeah, there's right. going to, there's going to be a lot of fear around that. And, and we're finding some of that right now too. You know, what else is, is new during the time of that Russian flu? Uh, it's a fairly new phenomenon to even have this, have a news cycle that brings you news from all over the world. All around the world. Are, yeah. And, and back then, these are places that you had no relationship to. Yeah. I mean, nowadays, our world is so much more connected, like everything from our economy, the way places your stuff is manufactured and uh, everything. But back then, it was especially like early half of the 19th century. There's a great book about the, the whole phenomenon. It's uh, by Neil Postman. It's called Amusing Ourselves to Death. I really recommend it. He, he wrote it in 1985, so before the, the digital age, really. Uh, but it's still really relevant. Yeah. And he talks about the, he's focused on television in his book, but he, he talks about this dynamic beginning with this idea of sensationalistic news coming to you from, from places that you had no, no relationship to. Yeah. And yeah. It, he, he looks at it in the States and in England where all of a sudden you, you live in, in Tennessee and you're hearing about a, a house fire in New York and you're hearing about, uh, you know, a plague killing the corn off in Mississippi. Yeah. And these are things that, that just, it's fetching you trouble from, from all over the world. So that, that culture of a news media that, that runs on fear, that runs on getting people agitated and, and upset about, about things from all over the place. Yeah. Uh, and I, th and I think that still exists today. I mean, obviously something like, like an outbreak like this, that, that, that affects everyone in the world. It's yeah. going to spread all over the world because that's how our world works. But there's other kinds of news, like news about a, a cat died somewhere and someone's house burned down and and in thousands of miles away. And it's just sending you this <laughs> bad news that has no relation to you. It's just tragic and it depresses you and it, it gets you agitated. Yeah, that's uh, that's the world we live in right now, isn't it? Yeah. It, and so but we see that already beginning back then. and. 1900s yeah uh with that definitely that culture of, of fear spreading definitely i even want i wonder uh, this is something for the boys at mysterious universe podcast um but people talk about how your mindset can make can prepare you for disease and or even make you more susceptible to it and uh hmm. and I'm, I'm not saying this in a you know woo 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 mystical uh you know, the secret kind of way, like you're going to tell the universe to make you sick, but uh, your mindset can make you more susceptible, make you stressed out. Yeah. And I wonder if that, that had something to, to play in the Russian flu. If people are reading about this weeks before the disease itself is actually in their country, but, you know, you read all about it and all of a sudden you're like, ooh, I, I do feel kind of funny. Ooh, huh. Huh. Maybe I, maybe I'm going to catch this. Well, I'm, I think it's, I think it's, and, and I put this caveat out that I'm not a scientist, <laughs> uh, but I, I feel like I've heard, uh, you know, I'm not even going to say it because we talked about spreading stuff. We'll just, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Could be. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> what, well, what were you going to say? I'm, I'm uh, curious. I was going to say uh, it's, 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 uh, it's kind of known. I think that stress compounds Sickness, compound sickness, illness. Um, if you're if you're yeah, I mean, if you're stressed, it's easier to catch something. Your body, yeah, your, that, your, your body's makeup just, uh, you know, it, it's it's focused on other things. Yeah, that is. I mean, that's a, a scientific fact. So, yeah. which is it's it's hard to not stress when you hear about this new pandemic. But it's yeah, the best thing you the best thing you can do is to not to not freak out. Yeah. And you kind of have to go against your instinct, but the the more freaked out and stressed you get, you're only debilitating your own immune system. Yeah, yeah. You're making yourself more more open to to attack. Yeah. So, yeah, obviously just take precautions. Focus on the stuff that you can do to control it and think about that and think about I'm good. I'm staying at home as much as I can. I'm avoiding crowded places. 
uh, keep your, you know, nutrition and everything and, and focus on that. And yeah. Just be calm. Definitely. So, uh, so I'm, I, I kind of feel like I, I want to laugh a little bit now. And I'm guessing that your story that you're about to tell us is going to cause some laughs. <laughs> uh, are, are you, are you open to sharing that with us? Maybe this will be a therapeutic moment for you, Dave. Uh, you can share yeah, with me and all of our audience what, what happened to you in Russia with spreading your butt cheeks. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready. Let me, let me get on the, the therapist couch here. Okay. Uh, yeah. And actually it, I mean, it starts with that whole idea of what lowers your defenses, uh, because the the whole first year in Russia, I never got really sick. I would get a little cold for a couple of days. That was that was it. Um, but I was for a year. I was doing stuff that I was. I'm sure I was exposed to, God knows how many pathogens and diseases. I mean, I was tempting fate <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. I would I would be hugging these these old homeless dudes these bumji yeah I would be eat I'd eat raw eggs and like people would whip up a raw egg little drink to that they said it's supposed to put lead in your pencil so I'd or, be like fine I'll drink the or go on, egg. or when we went over to Fat Mormon's house and he he pulls out this oh. this chicken that has oh, been the rotten chicken rotten and laying on the counter for who knows how long yeah we were we were we were oh. tempting fate out there. Oh, that was straight up rotten. It, it, I'm sure it had been there a week at least, not refrigerated. David, David, it's America, David. It's not No, no, that yeah. is not America. <laughs> yeah, I mean, fat Mormon giving us the rotten chicken, and then going to have shashlik with people in the woods, and you remember they it would be pork shashlik sometimes, and they'd be grabbing it with their hands to put it on the skewers, and then grabbing the cooked meat and handing it to you with the same hand with all the salmonella on it. Yeah. And uh, like, yeah, just everything. I sleep on the ground in the woods. I, I drank corpse water for a month when we got there, when they found that dead body in the, oh, yeah. in the cistern. And, uh, but nothing, you know, all these pathogens are going through, but my immune system, it had the walls up. The defenses were, were good and, and it didn't hit me. But this this mystery bug, whatever I got sick from, and I still don't even know what it was. I call it the Russian mystery bug. Yeah. But what they the closest diagnosis I got was mononucleosis and atypical angina, hmm. um, which is I don't know. It's kind of symptomatic description, but but yeah. whatever that sickness was, it waited until my defenses were down, <laughs> and uh, and that was right after, shortly after you had left, um, you. You left in January, and I stayed another three months, February, March, April. Yeah. And then I had the chance to renew my visa, and I, I had too much work I was doing there. I wanted to stay longer, and so I, I got the approval, and I was going to have to leave Russia and go to Estonia to renew my Russian visa. And, uh, you know, you you and Murph went with me to Estonia uh, almost a year before that. Yeah. It was the closest place. Uh, but we actually we had an episode about Estonia. We talk all yeah. about it. We had a good time. Yeah, we had a great time because we had money to spend. <laughs> yeah, but when you went this time, you didn't, right? You were you. I did. We were. Broke. I did not have money. I had zero. I had zero monies. <laughs> when, well, I had just enough to get me through a week in Estonia, and then there was a check was going to come in a, a couple weeks after that. I said, I said, screw it. I'm going to go to Estonia. I just want to get my visa. I'll get back home to. I had an apartment in Saratov on the bank of the Volga River. Yeah. And uh, so I went to Estonia and uh, I spent a, a really great week. I met some local guys, young guys my age, really cool dudes, and uh, just hanging out, drinking Pilsner on these medieval castle walls. And uh, we'd talk about the, the Soviet invasion and how that happened. Yeah. While this is happening, whatever this mystery bug is, it's sending its scouts into my bloodstream. So there are these sleeper agents and these subversive... <laughs> spies going in they're setting up jungle outposts in my body and they're just waiting for the infrastructure to weaken so they can topple the whole system yeah and uh and they got lucky because it did weaken because after a week there i ran out of money and i found out they told me oh your visa is going to take eight more days and my bank account was empty and i had to wow. i sent some emails i got family to loan me i think a, a hundred bucks or so I think but that deposit I think I remember you sending maybe you sent me an email too and I think I maybe sent over 20 bucks or something I 
I don't know if I was working at the time or anything, but I re- I kind of remember that. Yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah, you sent me you sent me a little money. Murph sent me money too, but he made me promise that I wouldn't spend it on anything useful. Yeah. <laughs> he said, I think he, he sent me 40 bucks and he said, "You this only goes to honey beer <laughs> or those candied walnuts yeah. at the medieval restaurant." Oh yeah. He said, "You can't spend this on a host- hostel or on lodging or food." And uh, <laughs> so I obeyed him. I I was out of money, but I was I was not going to spend Murph's money on lodging. So I slept in the park. <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> so I, I drink I drink beer with Murph's money, and then I packed my backpack and I left the youth hostel, and I went and I slept in the park like a bum. Yeah. I was and which got me major points from the Pyotr and the the guys from the Saratov Church. After they were so proud of me. They were they were like David, you are you are not an American. You are so Russian. Look at this. Look at you're wearing your your sport pants right now, like these, and you sleep in the park like a bum. Yeah. They said you Nice. And uh, so, but so I'm, it was May, and May is still pretty cold in Estonia, especially for sleeping outside. Yeah, yeah. I had to put on. I put on all the clothes I had and I'm still shivering on the park bench and I just had half of a, a rotten salami that I'd bought and that was what I was eating. And, uh, and then I met some, those young guys that I'd met, they, they invited me to stay in their dacha for a day or two, but they hadn't built a roof on it yet. Oh man. <laughs> and so I, <laughs> and so finally I get my visa and I had a little cash and I, but I still had to take the cheapest transport I could to get back to Saratov. And so it was all the night buses and night trains and the cheapest seats. So it was like these hard upright seats on, on the night train. And I'm hearing like I couldn't sleep for it was like three nights in a row, from Tallinn to St. Pete's and St. Pete's to Moscow and Moscow to Saratov. Yeah. And I had to space it out and take the cheapest ones and, and so three nights not really eating or sleeping and all of that sleeping on the in the park before that and, and all of that just it just lowered all the defenses. So I got back to Saratov and I thought, okay, I'm good now. And I had a jar. Well, the jar that you and Murph started where we'd collect the Kopec coins, like the, the penny coins. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I had that jar and it had filled up by then. And that jar, that was enough to buy a loaf of black bread. And that was my sustenance until my, my check came in. Some chorni chib. (laughs) The chorni chib. Yeah, so I was, but I was thinking, okay, I'm going to be good. And I, so I went to the library. I was, I had a little English language discussion group and, and I was talking about foreign aggression against Estonia at the group. And while I was doing that, this mystery disease, it's rolling its tanks into my bloodstream, just like <laughs> tanks rolling through the streets of Tallinn. And I left the library and I felt really faint. I was drenched in sweat. And so I, by then I had, I had started hanging around the Catholic church. I think I'd started my actual catechism there. Okay. Uh, and there were, there was a group of, of nuns from Mexico who, who worked at the Catholic church. And I, I got home and I called them up and I was, I was already just feeling terrible. And I, I was like, no I don't feel so good. Yeah. And she's like, Oh, spiritually. I feel really effed up sister. And, uh, so, she, so the nuns, they talked to the, I had Colombian friends there who were studying medicine. And so they called up my friend Fabiana, who, uh, she came to check up on me and, and she was in, in med school and she just walked into my apartment and she said, you look like shit, David. You gotta call a real doctor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, oh, so, man. and so luckily there was, uh a public healthcare system still in place in Russia that uh, was free essentially. Yeah. And uh, even, you know, after that many years after the fall of the Soviet Union, uh, public health healthcare it still existed, but it was kind of just bare bones, you know, whatever was left from that old system, uh, but it was available and there were doctors who would you could call and they'd come make a house call and they would not charge you money. Mm. And so so this uh, this MD came to my house and uh, he checked my temperature and and he looked at it and he's like, okay, well it's pretty high, like you're you're close to brain damage levels, you're not quite there yet. Wow. And uh, I think I spoke Spanish back to him. I said, no, pues menos mal, cabrón. And he looked at Fabianda. He was like, is this guy speaking in tongues? <laughs> and I said, no, no. no. <laughs> so I had to switch back to Russian and 
And I was like, no, doctor, what's, what's the diagnosis? And he says, well, I, I don't know. What color is your matcha? And so he's using the medical term for feces. Oh. And, uh, you know, because you and I, we were used to hearing the slang terms like pieces and cockets. Yeah. Uh, like germo. Like germo and caca. Yeah. And so, uh, but he uses this medical term. So I was like, oh, my feces. And I said, my matcha, yeah, it's, it's dark. It's almost black. And he's like, what? Are you sure? Dude, doc, I think I would know. And so he's <laughs> looking at me and he's like, he's like, this guy might need hospitalization. And I'm I'm fighting it off, and I I avoided going to the hospital for a week. I was like, I'm I'm gonna get better. I just need to to hang in there. Everyone was coming to look after me. Uh, Maslov, lots of people from the Baptist Church. Yeah, uh, Natasha yeah. Maslov, our friend Marina, who is uh who had been our translator during our first trips, and oh yeah, um, I mean. I mean, just people of all walks of life, the, the Colombian friends who were studying medicine there and the Russian Baptists and Orthodox Marina and the, the Catholic nuns. and Yeah. Yeah, so everyone's coming over to my apartment, and everybody has a, a different home remedy. Like some people suggest b- drinking black tea with lemon and honey, and then other people suggest yeah. putting some honey and lemon into a cup and then putting black tea and mixing it. <laughs> and then other people said you should put lemon juice and then put it in some black tea and honey. <laughs> and like every everyone has given me that thing. The only different one actually was from Natasha from the Baptist Church and she didn't even drink. But she said, "You know what, David? You know what the the mujiki, the ruski mujiki, you know what they do? Like the Russian men, you get a pint of vodka with black pepper into it. And stir it up and just pound, chug that." Wow. And uh, I did not take that advice and it's lucky because apparently my liver was was not in a good place. I guess my liver was fighting something off. So I shouldn't, it's a good thing I didn't drink a lot of vodka. Yeah. Wow. But I was, I was, I just felt, I felt terrible, dude. I was, I was getting close to delirious. I'd watch vampire movies with Maslov and I, I thought the vampires were coming to get me and I was starting to, starting to lose it. And so Marina came over to, she brought me this tin of borscht one day and she said, man, you look really bad, David. And I asked her how bad I looked. And she used the Ruski mat that, forgive, pardon my French here, but she said, you look huyova, which is a Ruski mat, and literally it means you look as bad as a dick. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> she said, okay, are you ready to go to the hospital, David? And I just, I think I mumbled in three different languages. I said, okay, I'm ready for it, cabrona. Hmm. <laughs> And uh, so she, she told me to pack my things. She told me the hospitals, the public hospitals, it's, it's bare bones. You got to bring everything, your own bed sheets, your plate and cup. And wow. so I had to bring all that stuff with me. And I packed it up and this battered up old van, that was the ambulance. And it showed up and it had just this one wooden bench in the back with a rope hanging down from the roof for you to hold on to so you wouldn't fall over. And I was just like leaning my head on Marina's shoulder and trying not to fall down on the turns. So we get to the hospital and and we go in and the nurse, the intake nurse is there and she looked at me and, and then she used that same medical term. And she said, I need, she gives me this big glass jar and she says, I need a sample of your matcha. Okay. And I'm like, okay, a feces sample in this jar. I'm like, that's a little strange. I took it and I went back. She said, you can, you know, you can give me the sample back through that door. And I go through, and it's not even a bathroom. It's like a dark broom closet. And there's not even a toilet or, or toilet paper in there. And <laughs> S- sounds sounds like sounds like our situation here now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no TP. No, no, t- no TP. So luckily, I had a, a, some toilet paper in my pocket, and I just I did the tripod on the floor where you get one hand behind you and you you squat. Yeah. And you get your pants down, and so I just squat over this jar. And I, I like I'm crapping into this jar in this dark broom closet, and I'm like, "This is, look at how low I've sunk, man." And I, uh, so I, I just used the toilet paper to clean up and tossed it on the floor, I think. And I walked out, and I give the jar to the nurse, and she looks. This is the only time I've seen a Russian nurse just lose her composure, and she just cracked up laughing. <laughs> Why she? She busted up and she she looks at the jar and she says she says that's not what I wanted from you. The other one you can't see a молодой человек. So that this is our Russian language lesson for the day. 
because that's that was when I learned that matcha actually doesn't mean feces. Okay. It's the Russian word for for urine. <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> um, so she so you handed you handed her this black nasty turd. <laughs> no. I'm just I'm standing there holding this jar with a, a turd in it, <laughs> and it's and everyone just cracks up like Marina and the nurse and I think a doctor was walking through and and everyone is just cracking up at me holding this jar with a turd in it. <laughs> Get a load of this guy with his turd in his in his jar. <laughs> check out check out turd jar over here. Look at this guy. <laughs> oh man. All right, so, so, so obviously, obviously so you, this, you figured it out, and she, they meant they meant for you to pee in the jar, and the doctor was asking you what color was your pee. Yeah, and I told him black. black I told him my my. <laughs> that's why he was like he was like, dude, you are gonna die today. <laughs> oh my goodness! You are peeing black, dude. You are so effed. <laughs> So oh, okay, okay, okay. I so, got it. So that's our, that's our, so our Russian language lesson go, for the yeah. day. We can we can put in the music here. Matcha. Uh, here's here, here's our lesson. Matcha does not mean poop. It means pee. Okay. okay. End of lesson. End of Kanyetsuroka. <laughs> Kanyetsuroka. Oh man. Okay. Okay. So, so that. So finally, I you know I gave her the right substance after that, and. Uh, <laughs> I gave her some pee and they did the tests and so finally they they get me into my room and Marina helped me and and she said goodbye and I put the sheets on the bed and I unpack and I'm uh I still felt like shit but it was it was this relief like okay finally I'm I'm in here I'm in the hospital I can get some rest yeah and and it's just like this room this is not like like an american hospital and now Russia had, had private hospitals that were very nice but I couldn't afford one of those yeah, and I'm sure. I mean, this we're talking 2004. I'm sure things are much better now. I'm sure even the public hospitals. I'm sure they're they're much more modern. But at the time, this is this room had like a cot, like a Soviet army cot, and a one table and one chair. Um, it had a crib because sometimes it was a children's hospital, and and it had a bathroom, and that was it. Okay. Okay. And so I so I laid. I get the sheets on. I lay down on the cot, and I'm like, "Okay, I'm gonna finally get some rest." I changed my shirt because it was soaked in sweat from from crapping in the broom closet. So I change my shirt and I lie down on the bed. I close my eyes, and and then the door opens again, and this nurse comes in. She's like, "I need to take your temperature." Okay, fine. She takes it, and I'm like, okay, now I can get some sleep. Then a couple minutes later, then another nurse comes in, and she's got to give me an injection. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm like, "Okay, give me the shot." And then, okay, now I can get some sleep. And then a couple minutes later, then two nurses come in. And I'm like, okay, dude, now what? And one of them, she's holding this big floppy rubber bladder, and it's attached to this long tube. Okay. And my first my first thought is, oh, cool. They brought me a nutritive shake to drink. This is like <laughs> yeah. a nutrient-rich protein shake. <laughs> and so I smiled, and I, I held out my glass for them to pour me the, the shake. And she just looked at me and she shook her head. And she said, Take off your trousers. <laughs> and so I, I had on those track pants and I pulled them down and I kept my boxers on. And now I'm curious. And I swear, what I was thinking, I'm like, oh, they're going to wash my legs off with the hose. Yeah, that's what obviously. <laughs> but I'm thinking, where's the runoff water going to go? And then she said, and you've got to pull your underwear down too. And I'm still in denial of what's going to happen. So I pull my boxers down and my thinking now is, oh, they're going to spray my butthole down to clean it off. <laughs> but still, well, yeah, well, yeah. after, after you, after you put your turd in the thing, you got to clean off. There was no teepee <laughs> in the closet, right? Yeah. That was, I think that, that was where my mind was. I really wanted to think <laughs> that, that this was going in a place I'd be okay with. Yeah, and so I just sit back down on the bed, and the nurse, and she just she huffs and she says, "No, dude, curl up in the fetal position, grab both of your butt cheeks, and spread them apart." <laughs> okay, I think I see where and this I is was, going. This is this is an enema, man. Oh boy, they had to give me an. They're gonna give me an enema because it's standard procedure. Wow. She says we need to clean you. We need to clean you out. We are going in. <laughs> and and they went in. 
and it was this was one of the worst things I've ever I've I guess I've had a pretty easy life because you know most humans have to deal with much worse, and uh, you know it's a horrible feeling, man. When you're especially when you're not ready for it, and I just I could feel that cold water going into me, and they were they're scolding me because I'm clenching up. Because they were like, dude, you got to loosen up to let the hose in. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, I don't want this to happen, man. I'm, <laughs> this is not consensual. I did not sign up for this. It was just the worst. Like, it was cold, and I could feel it going into, like, the inside of my body. And and then she said, I had to I had to hold it for five minutes. She said, we're going to leave, but you've got to wait five minutes before you can go to the bathroom. Wow. And it was like I had to bear this this water pregnancy for five minutes that I did not want. And I was like, no, man, my body, my choice. I, I, I'd never signed up for this. No means no. And so I, yeah, it was, it was so bad. I, I only hold, held out for four and a half minutes and I was, they had left. And so I just went to the bathroom and I, I ejected it. And then I was just like defeated and empty. And I laid down on my cot and I fall into this black sleep. Wow. And uh, that was just the beginning of, of my quarantine. Yeah, because I was I was going to be in there for a few weeks, and I couldn't see friends because it was quarantine. I could only talk to nurses and doctors. Yeah, uh, they were figuring out what was happening, and uh, for so the next few days, that's when I figured out just how boring this was going to be, because it was that room, and the food was bland. It was kasha, it was rice kasha for breakfast, and this watery potato soup for lunch, and again for dinner. Yeah. And so the the whole time the only the boredom it got interrupted by just whenever a nurse would come in or a doctor and, and give me exams and treatments and just day and night they're they're injecting my ass with the best medicine that Russia's public <laughs> health system could give me. Yeah. And I'm I don't mean ass colloquially. Like everything went into the butt. <laughs> it was so they were giving me suppositories. They gave me more enemas. There were like three more enemas, but I was, you know, I was ready for it by then. <laughs> yeah. And I'm getting injections into the butt cheeks. Like just everything's going into the butt. Wow. Yeah. I, there's this butt fixation in, in Soviet medicine. <laughs> and uh, I'm not going to try to psychoanalyze where that comes from. But whatever it was, it was, it was working. I was starting to feel, you know, I was coming back from the brink of death. And I'm starting to feel better, and the the fever and the delirium is going by. Yeah. And uh, but then I I just had to entertain myself. I had some notebooks, and so I would I would write in them. I'd take these huge journals, and I started like five books that I would never finish writing. I'd write these long essays about the Russian character, and and then I'd just draw pictures of all the food I missed, uh, and that I knew I couldn't even find in Russia. Like I'd draw these detailed drawings of, of fish tacos and sushi and nigiri and and uh California burritos <laughs> and uh and it was making me go crazy though the boredom and so finally one of my friends loaded up my cell phone and put some credit on it so I was able to text my friends on the outside yeah and that was when everyone came together and this this whole community of people those are the people who really saved my sanity and my and kept me alive in the hospital too, bringing me food. Wow. Uh, it was the, the Mexican nuns went to my apartment. Fabiana had a key and, uh, the nuns went and picked up some books for me to read. They brought me the Bible and they brought me this, this Mexican classic Pedro Paramo by Juan Rulfo. And so I read it like seven times in the hospital. Hmm. And so they would come and, uh, the Baptists came from angles. They would cross the river and they'd come to bring me stuff. And they asked, they asked if they could bring me a, you remember the, the curry grill, the uh, rotisserie chickens that we would get oh, at yeah. by our apartment? Yeah. We, yeah. yeah we'd, so they, we'd pack one home in a, in a plastic bag with all the juices and everything. Oh, and so good. Dig into it. So they brought, they brought you one of those. They picked it up from, from our neighborhood. Yeah. From the place that I loved right by our old apartment in Angles. Ah. And uh, they, they asked the nurse at first, they said, Hey, can he have curry grill? And she said, yeah, of course. Chicken's fine. Nice. And so they brought the the kuritsu to me, and but the day they brought it, it was a different nurse, and she was so mean, and she <laughs> re, she sent the chicken back home with them. Oh, they brought the chicken, they brought a whole lavash bread, and she was like, "No, he can't have this. He oh, can only have man. half of this lavash." And so I was all day long. I'd been watered up for that chicken, just ready for it. Yeah. And she came in, and she just gave me this half of a lavash. Oh. And I said, "What the hell." Where's the chicken? And she said, no, you can't have it. 
And she gave me the lavash. I think I threw it on the ground. I was so pissed. <laughs> I was like, take your bloody lavash. But but the point the point <laughs> is that that all these people rallied around you and they they came and they kept you from going crazy when you're in isolation, right? They brought you stuff. Yeah. Talked with you through yeah, they, through the door. Were they able to come in or how how did that work? I remember no, could, I remember one of the times we went and visited Moslov when they were removing his stutter and we could, <laughs> we were only able to talk to him. He was on the balcony and we could we were down below and we were able to talk to him and throw him up some some candy or something like that. Was it similar with yeah. you? It was exactly like that. Yeah. 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 I was in quarantine. Nobody could come in. Uh, a couple times, my friends, uh, the Colombians and my, my Nicaraguan friend, Dorian, he, they would holler from across the hall or like from way off in the, the entry doorway. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, one time, I, so my room was on the back end of the building and it had a window and I could actually open the window, which was nice. I could get fresh air. It was, this is like late May, so it's really getting warm outside. And uh, behind it, there were these empty lots. And then there was a neighborhood with a bunch of wooden houses. And the, the, there was a dirt path, like, way behind the wooden houses. Yeah, yeah. And so one day I was in there, and I thought I was getting delirious again because I hear my name from outside. And I hear, like, David, Davidich, Davidich, Lieutenant Schmidt. Was it, was, it, uh, the- was it Fat Mormon? <laughs> he that found would be you. So cool if it was. He found you. <laughs> he I have, would be the one I, person. I have rotten chicken. <laughs> I have. Ro- I brought you rotten chicken. Here you go. <laughs> he would be the one person to track me down <laughs> in the Russian hospital. <laughs> David and the Yatos de Marmon. No, who, okay. So no, who, it was, who was it? Yeah, it was Abramov. Oh, that's Abramov. Good guy. And, you know, he, we didn't, nobody had Google Maps or anything. He spent hours navigating, figuring out the neighborhood to figure out what street was behind my room, wow. like what side of the hospital my room was on. And so, and he's, so he's back there in this neighborhood on this dirt road <laughs> with all these houses around. And so we just chatted for like an hour, just shouting back and forth across these empty lots. Wow. That's, that's totally, that's exactly something that he would do too. Just, just go around call, calling out until he found you. And eventually we had to stop because like, the neighbors started getting pissed off because it was like an hour of shout conversation. Yeah. And eventually all the all the neighbors are like, shut the hell up. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the Baptists even, uh, I think this was Natasha and Oksana, they got they brought the chicken back to me, but they hid it. They they hid it underneath some mashed potatoes so that the nurse wouldn't find it. Oh, and such, they snuck me this contraband chicken. Such such a such great people, man. Oh boy. Yeah, yeah. They just they when they learned that they couldn't give it to me, they did the Christian thing and and they lied about it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just hide it under some potatoes. Everybody came together though. Yeah, that's what that's what that's what we got to do. That's what people need to do. We need to be watching out for each other. We need to be checking up on each other. Um. You know, if 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 you've got people who are in the high risk age group, they don't need to be going out. But uh, but if you can, yeah. you know, order some food and send it over to their house or or if, if if you're doing all right, you know, pick up some food or bring some of your groceries over and leave it at the doorstop so they can open it up and get that. Yeah. Go cover your cover your mouth when you go bring it, you know, put a, even put on a bandana, just something so you're not breathing right on yeah. the food because I've. You know, there's, I guess I've heard that even if you don't have symptoms, you know, you, you can, might be breathing that's something true. out you, into the air. You can be, you can be infectious even if you're not symptomatic, but, um, you know, you, I mean, we all should be washing our hands and sanitizing regularly anyway. Um, not even yeah. just now people need, need to wash their hands more in general. I am amazed how many people did not know how to wash their hands before this. Yeah. Like, did we... Did we all miss kindergarten? We lost. Did that we or need something. all these instructions? Yeah. yeah, but 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 just like just like just like our Russian friends did for you, like that's that's what we got to do for each other. We gotta we gotta look out for each other, take care of each other, make sure people aren't going too stir crazy. You know, set up set up a FaceTime date to to talk with people and interact and laugh. I I just I feel I feel great after laughing a few minutes ago. <laughs> at your expense but um but hopefully you know hopefully folks out there yeah. got a, got a good laugh out of that too and and we got to keep our spirits up we got to take care of each other i mean that's it hands down 
Um, that is, and that's if there's one good thing that can come out of all of this, it's to, you know, ironically in this time of social distancing, this this could be something that to force us to come together more and realize yeah. we we need to depend on each other. And yeah, that's that's what's really going to save everyone. Yeah, coming together, being a community, working as one body, like. Some people learn that in a time of tragedy or a natural disaster. You know, I first experienced it during that enema time in my in the Russian hospital. Yeah, that's why I, that's why I call that story. I call it love in the time of enemas. <laughs> yeah, and and, <laughs> and it, it but and, that and it didn't matter. It didn't matter if it was the Baptists coming to help you out. It didn't matter if it was fat Mormon coming out or the or the Catholic nuns to to help you out or. Or um, you know the people or who my did... atheist friends, and yeah. Jewish and Muslim Tartar friends. Every everyone just came together as as humans. Yeah, de- and, and out of human decency. And I I hope I hope that this is a time where some of that can happen. You know, we're all we're we're gonna wrap things up right now. Uh, we've got some plans in the next uh, few weeks to be putting out some more content. Um, Dave, ex- explain a little bit of of your thought on on these stories that we're gonna put out. Yeah, so we figure a lot of people are are stuck at home, and you might be a little bored. People are looking for new stuff to to watch, to listen to. Yeah. Um. So we want to put out uh, a series of stories to keep you entertained, and we're going to put out a little bit each day. Uh, we're going to try to do it every day. We'll see how how regular we are. Um. But we're going to be reading some some classic Russian stories, and these are you know if you know us, you know we're into to things on the macabre side, mystery and, you know, creepy, eerie stories. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but we've got we've got a couple short stories by classic Russian authors, and very apropos for, for the time, the first story we're going to go into is about somebody who's in isolation. Oh. Um, it'll, it's a story about a young man. It, it was written in the 1800s in Russia. A story about a young man who spends 15 years in total isolation and, and what the result of that is. Very yeah. interesting story. Uh, we've got a couple others also about, and it, some of those, it's not always macabre. Uh, we're going to have one story that that gets into the this ancient monastic tradition of the Orthodox monks who would look for that isolation on purpose to, to focus. Um, and that was something I even tried when I was in the hospital. I said, you know, I'm going to make this like a pilgrimage. I'll just pretend I'm in a monastery. I wanted to go to an Orthodox monastery anyway. I didn't make it out there. Um, but you can, I mean... That's something you can do with this time alone as well. Like, regardless of whatever your beliefs are, yeah, uh, use it as a time of reflection. It's a time to to be alone with your thoughts and listen to your, just explore your own mind. Think about your life. Think about what's important to you. Yeah. So we're going to be giving you uh, some short readings every day. We're gonna we'll do it like a serial. We'll we'll be reading through these stories. Uh, so you have something to listen to. You can be joining us here. Yeah. Um. And uh, interact with us. You know, we can we can act like a community too. Uh, tell us your thoughts. Uh, send us messages. Keep in touch with us. Absolutely. Uh, we all of our social media trwl podcast on Instagram. I think we're that's with the underscore, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, Instagram trwl underscore podcast. Uh, yeah. And tell us your thoughts. Hit us up. Um, you can also find us on Patreon if you wanna wanna be part of our podcast community and. Uh, in a closer way. We've got listeners from all around the world. I, I can think of uh, at least a couple who of you who are out in Russia right now yourselves. Some of you native Russian speakers, some of you who are there learning. Um, we've got people in, um, in North America, Europe, uh, South America, uh, Central America. Uh, let us know what's going on. You know, get on our, get on our Instagram page. We're most active there, but, uh, Let's keep in touch with each other. Check. Let's check in and see how things are going. See what's going on around there. Yeah, we uh, we need to stick together. It's a tough time for for a lot of the world, and uh, but it can bring us closer together too. We're all in this together. Uh, let's look out for each other. Don't don't use any of our don't use any of our information as as stats. Um, we really want to make sure that the right and correct information gets out there. Yes, check out the. Uh, we are not doctors. We are not doctors. We we are are barely storytellers. Um, if you really want some information about um, COVID nineteen, the coronavirus, um, go to uh, go to the World Health Organization website www who.int or the CDC, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention. That's www.cdc.gov. 
Um, yeah, please follow follow the indications, follow the instructions of your local healthcare authorities. They do know better than you. You don't know better than the doctors. This is not a time to get cocky. Uh, let's take care of the most vulnerable people in our population. Yeah. A lot of us, if we catch this virus, most of us will will be fine. We won't, but we don't want it to spread because we're looking out for the people who who would not be fine. People who are vulnerable. We've got to look out for each other. Very true. So normally, normally Dave ends off our our episode, but I'm going to give it a try this time. Go for it. This up. Ep- this episode of To Russia With Love is brought to you by a big black turd in a jar. <laughs> Not what anybody wants, but sometimes what you need. Sometimes it's what you get. <laughs> turd in a jar. <laughs> Everybody have, have a stay safe out there, and uh, we'll, we'll see you later, all right? Yeah. We'll see you later. See you later.